Twas the night before the Northern Muskie opener, and uh, it's another episode of Backlash Podcast. And tonight we're going to focus on just that. We're going to talk to Jake and Russ Smith, Smitty Bates. We're going to talk to them about Northern Wisconsin, and we're going to talk a little guide stories with them as well. That was kind of fun to do a couple episodes back, so we're going to try that a little bit. And we're also going to talk to Kevin Pischke, Laying the Line Guide Service out of Green Bay, and we're going to kind of get you an update on Green Bay. I know, don't worry, Minnesota guys, we haven't forgot about you. I left it up to Brad, so if if we drop the ball on a Minnesota opener episode, it's Brad's fault. Right, Brad? No pressure, Jeff. None. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make it happen, that's for sure. But, you know, there's a lot going on in Wisconsin right now. That's the time of the year. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. And I think ultimately all of our listeners realize, hey, it's all about talking fishing, and that's what we're doing here. Well, you know what, the Southern opener, I've talked about it a bunch of times before. It's always like, you know, spring training. And then, uh, you know, the big leagues, the big the big games, the real games start with the Northern opener. Not trying to say that the Southern zone lakes are any less, but it really limits the amount of ang- anglers in Wisconsin that are actually musky fishing. You know, you're going to see tons more anglers out musky fishing, you know, starting this coming weekend, you know, in the South I haven't been out musky fishing yet, and I don't. I might get out once before the northern zone opens because technically we're recording this, you know, just a little bit in advance. But uh, I'll get out maybe one time. But then uh, the real season starts for me that Memorial Day weekend, as it does for many, many anglers, because it just opens up that many more possibilities for lakes for people to fish. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you look at some of the other states that are out there, I mean, obviously the southern zone has been fishing muskies for quite some time. Never want to leave them out. You know, you look at some of the stuff like going on here in Minnesota, we're almost a week into uh, the walleye opener. So, hey, I mean, guys are on the water. They're doing their thing. And guess what? They're probably investigating a little bit as well, kind of what that musky season is going to look like. So it's all good, Jeff. And I'm hoping that, you know, Russ and Jake, I know they're doing some walleye fishing. I know Kevin's been doing some walleye fishing. So I'm hoping they both kind of have an idea as far as, you know, what we're looking at water temperature wise and uh, fish activity level and, and possibly, you know, they can tell us what's going on as far as the spawn is concerned, whether or not it's over and done. And I think that uh, should be good for that. Anyways, we're going to talk a little bit about our sponsors. We have none, so we'll talk about Team Rhino Outdoors. If you need your musky gear for your next fishing adventure, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We're your source for gear for the 2021 musky fishing season. Anything from uh, musky mayhem tackle to musky innovations to smitty baits to uh, bite back trilogies to it doesn't matter. Suix, everything, chaos tackle, the whole gamut, stealth tackle if you need leaders, we carry it. And my co-host for this episode, as per usual, is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you need gear from them, you can visit muskymayhemtackle.com. And Brad's going to talk a little bit more about Musky Mayhem Tackle. You know, Jeff, I mean, you pretty much covered it right there. But uh, if anybody's interested in any of our products, um, we've been out there since 2005. We're kind of the originators. I shouldn't say kind of. We are the originators of the Flashaboo Big Bladed Musky Bait the non-bucktail, if you will. So if you have any interest in that stuff, you can definitely check us out both on our Facebook and Instagram, as well as our direct uh, website, muskymayhem.com. And last and not least, but uh, we do have a bunch of material out there as well on our YouTube channel. And if you like what we're doing and you like the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe on uh, whatever platform you're listening to, whether it be Podbean, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, a bunch of different options that you can find the podcast. And we are probably one of the most consistent as far as, you know, releasing every single Wednesday, 5 a.m. Central Time. You'll find a new podcast unless something drastic happens. And so far, going on 113 or 114 episodes, I think we've been consistent every single week without missing one. And hopefully we can continue to bring you timely information to help you catch a couple more fish. Yeah, and, and, you know, it isn't just about us, Jeff. It's about our guests. And fortunately, we have had a plethora, if you will, of really solid, good guests. And that's what makes it exciting. You know, I mean, it's somebody new every week. They have a lot to offer. So check it out. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. It's certainly not about you and me at all. It's about, like you said, it's about the guys, the girls, 
everybody. We've had a couple girls. Speaking of girls, I need to have a correction, Brad. So last episode, we were dazed and confused, and we were like, hey, have we ever had any female episode, full episodes on? And of course we have. We had Nicole King. We had her talking about kayaks and stuff like that. And then we also had Emily Steen from Lady Luck Guide Service. So, Brad, we totally flopped on that one. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I think we even mentioned that uh, in that episode, you know, things kind of become a blur when when we're working on this all the time. And, yeah, never, ever did we mean to forget about that. All of our guests are special and it's a challenge, man. It's a challenge to keep up with what we're even doing. <laughs> yeah. No excuses. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, so if you're looking, if you're looking for a couple of female guests, if you, uh, if you listen to Linda Rice last episode and you want more of that, go to episode 28. You can find Emily, Emily, I believe at episode 28 and you can find Nicole at episode 30. And yeah, like we said, we want to apologize. We didn't mean to omit anybody i can't even name all the other guests that we've even had before brad it's uh, like you said it, it becomes a blur and of course we didn't mean to slight anybody we just uh i did have somebody you know send me a message to say oh by the way you did have one and i was like well i think we actually had more than one so i went back and i did the research and we we definitely did and um but you know the weird thing about it brad is episode 30 it doesn't seem that long ago but it was actually quite a while ago we we're talking over a year ago kind of mind-boggling honestly jeff i I don't know. I'm not sure how this is uh, all kind of going together. It just keeps blending together and we're doing our thing. It's fun. I I truly do enjoy doing this. Yeah, especially because we get to talk to, you know, lots of different people about muskie fishing and they get to bring lots of different insight and different areas and different tactics and different techniques. And it's all, it's all great. I, I take something away from probably every single episode. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's what happens when you have the uh, the presence that we've been able to come up with. So it's exciting. I, I love the noise that we're making. I think we just keep going forward with it. Yes, sir. And speaking of going forward, I don't have anything else to talk about. Let's just go get Russ and Jake on the phone, and uh, we'll start talking about northern Wisconsin. You know, as far as uh, Smitty Baits, they've been making baits for, I don't know, 51 years, Brad. They're one of the few that's probably been around longer than you. And Russ has been on the water for pretty much his entire life, and you know Jake too. I mean, I'm I'm guessing if you're if you're growing up the son of a uh, of a fishing guide, you're going to spend a little bit of time on the boat. And so I'm excited to have them on. We haven't we haven't ever had them on this podcast. I have had them on the uh, Team Rhino Outdoors Musky Fishing Podcast one time, and so uh, I'm looking forward to that. So let's get that conversation going. Let's let it rip, man. It's it's go time. I mean, it's that time of the year, Jeff. It's uh. It's upon us. Here we go. All right. Our first guests up tonight are Russ and Jake Smith, Smitty Bates. Lots of history with, with the Smitties, the Smith. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what to expect for Northern Wisconsin opener, as everybody is aware. A lot of people are aware. Northern Wisconsin opener is kind of like, uh, I don't know, when you when you go to Southern Wisconsin, that's kind of like spring training. Seems like once the northern season opens, uh, everybody gets super excited about muskie fishing. And then in, uh, I believe it's next next weekend. Is that right, Brad? Minnesota opens up next weekend? Uh, June 5th, Jeff. So I'm not exactly sure. When is this one coming out? This one is going to be Wednesday the 27th. So yeah, it would be the weekend after then this one comes out. Yep, correct. Yep. So yeah, and then... You know, that kicks it off to another level, and then a couple weeks later, the Canadians kick it off, and then I think that puts, oh, and then I think St. Clair kicks off too, right? The same weekend as Minnesota, isn't that first Saturday in June? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of interesting. They don't have a closed season, but uh, they kind of follow that Minnesota, I guess, trend. As a a whole group of guides out there, they've just decided that, hey, we're going to wait until this time frame, and that's when we're going to call it opener, which is pretty cool. Yep, I agree. And so... Musky season's upon us, guys. It's an exciting time of year. I mean, you guys have been chasing them up there forever. I know, Russ, you certainly have, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But how are you two guys doing tonight? Great. Doing, doing great. Doing pretty good. We just were, you know, out on the water. We've been doing a lot of walleye fishing and seen a lot of muskies doing the spawning and some real beat-up ones and had some accidental catches, you know, using big chubs, you know, walleye fishing. And I think I've caught five already just, uh, you know, on using the fixed column test line and, and a lot of bite offs too that we've had. So who knows how many we played with already. So they, they've been moving a little bit already and 
getting active. They definitely are awake. I'll tell you that. I mean, I, I had a real, uh, good experience today. I was crappie fishing and, uh, uh, I was, uh, I had a client that that's what he wanted to go for today. And there's always uh muskies chasing the crappies. If you're catching crappies, there's a muskie there. So we got bit off several times. We didn't catch a muskie, but some of the crappies had some scars in them and still bleeding and stuff like that. So they're active and they're ready to eat. I mean, the ones that uh, we did catch were pretty aggressive for this time of the year. I had a uh, 58 degree water temperature, but it's supposed to be 70 again tomorrow and uh, water temperature is going to keep rising. So by the opener, it should really be a good one. Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about opener and like what's the, I mean, typically, you know, it seems like the last couple of years, those fish have kind of been in the funk, you know, they've either been pre-spawn, in-spawn or a little bit post-spawn, but it's been sort of funky the way the weather has been working out. So I'm assuming this year, based off what you're telling me, these fish should be all done, done spawning and, and ready to chow some baits. It seems like, like they're pretty much done um, from the ones I've seen, maybe some of the real big deeper lakes, they might not be, I don't know exactly on that. The smaller lakes, for sure, we're going to, you know, go to the smaller lake opening day and, and start with that. Usually, some of the darker water lakes are a little bit warmer, so we'll, I'm going to start off with that first day and see how that goes. And, so, you know, the weeds have been coming up pretty nice. There's some really nice cabbage finally coming up. It, it is late. I thought it would, you know, with the early opener, it was the old, early open ice we had anyway. I thought the weeds would be better, but finally in the last week or so, they're really starting to pop up good. So it should be pretty good. This, you know, that's what I'm going to be targeting is the fresh cabbage. Yeah, there seems to be quite a bit of really nice green cabbage. And matter of fact, the crappies that we caught today, we caught some pretty nice labs. Uh, they were all in the cabbage. They, they uh, weren't up in the bulrush bed, you know, and the ones that I cleaned for, for my clients, uh, there was only one of them that had a little trace of spawn left in them. So they're pretty, the crappies are pretty much done. You know, the big deep clear lakes probably the, it might be a different story, but I was on a shallow uh, stained lake today and uh, they, they looked like they were kind of done and they were off the bulrush beds out where the cabbage is. So they were catching them in, you know, four or five feet of water, but uh, using tube jigs and stuff like that. And, uh, and they were, they were pretty aggressive. I mean, some of them, I didn't even um, move my jig. I had a little mini mite on one, and I just cast it out. And it was very windy today, so I was doing boat control for my client mostly. And uh, my bait was just hanging there, and the bobber went down. I wasn't even working it, although the waves uh, give it a little action, you know, to, with a bobber. The jig is going up and down, so they're very aggressive. Uh, it should be another good day tomorrow. Not that carries on. She likes to talk about the bluegills, so I don't know if you, we don't want to talk about too much. Oh, we did catch a giant bluegill today on a minnow of all things. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're talking my wife's whole world. I mean, she just loves bluegill fishing. So, yeah, we you know, a, I was surprised. I thought it was a northern because we caught probably a dozen northerns or, or so with our little jigs, and we got cut off a couple times, and the way it, a bluegill fights a whole different ball game compared to a crappie. And when it ran to the side, I said, oh, darn, it's another northern. He's probably going to bite me off. And it turned out it would be a big bluegill. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. That's cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, before we got cranking here, you mentioned that there's maybe even a couple lakes that you've actually already musky fished on, correct? Yeah. Yeah, you can. There's some lakes where it's legal. Some of them aren't even closed, you know, all winter or whatever. And uh, so I actually, I had clients that targeted muskies. So I took them to lakes that are legal to fish uh, early because, uh, well, you could, you know, say you're northern fishing or something. But actually, we were actually musky fishing and we were on lakes that it was legal to musky fish on. That's pretty awesome. Is there a ton of people that actually go out there and get after those lakes, or is that something that's kind of held quiet? Yeah, we were the only boat that was out there fishing for muskies. We were the only one, and they were moving. I mean, we got a 42-incher on a jerk bait, uh, so that was, but actually it was on, uh, uh, what's that, criminal one? Criminal. Yeah, we caught it on the criminal bait. The, 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 the fellow that I had ordered some from you guys. And, uh, 
uh, and that's what he caught it on on the small uh, size criminal bait, uh, which I took a picture of it in the in the net when his bait was in its small. Yeah, absolutely. Jake sent me that one. I got to use that one on social media. One yeah. Days. Yep. Nice shot. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun because we actually targeted them, and you know I was walleye fishing and you know stuff like that, crappies and all that, and it was really fun to actually target muskies with this coming uh, weekend when it's open season. It's it's going to be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. And so let's kind of back up a little bit. You guys talked about a little bit about um, the waters that you guys choose during this time of season or time of year. I know there's a whole pile of lakes up there by you. I've been up there many, many times and there's, I mean, no shortage of musky lakes. Is, are you generally looking for smaller bodies of water? Cause I know you talked about the deeper, clearer lakes might be a little bit behind or would this season, because it's a little earlier, a little more normal, I guess we could say it. Would you be looking at the, any of those clear bodies of water? I think you could. I, I think they'll be ready to go also. I'm going to start on a, a stained one. Is just, I think that it might be a little more active on that. On that, I w- I'm not going to be afraid at all to go out to a clear lake because uh, you know I I might end up switching too. You know I might fish that lake for part of the day and and switch to the more clear lake too because I'm sure they're both going to be ready to go. I'm probably going to stay away from you know some of the lakes that are 80 or 100 feet deep. You know they have the ciscos and stuff here. I'm I usually don't target them first, but uh, wait a little bit anyway on that. Yeah, I like to fish a lot of the shallower ones. They could be a big lake, but uh, shallow, you know, so the water gets warmed up a little faster, and the cabbage is, is green in some of those. I mean, it's really looking good. So as far as fish location, are you pretty much going to be looking then in the shallows? I know you were talking earlier about the crappies are you know, in the shallow four-foot, five-foot range, but you also said that they're about done, so they could possibly push out. Are you still going to probably be looking into that, you know, the shallower bays? Yeah, I, myself, that's what I'm looking at. Anything, you know, like 10 feet uh, or less seems to be the key. I mean, all the I've caught some muskies also by accident, just like Jake has. I've caught a few on jigs and minnows fishing for walleyes, and everything has been pretty shallow, even on lakes that say like an average lake around here, not big deep clear ones, uh, say a lake that's uh, 250 acres and 30 feet deep or 25 feet deep, uh, the shallow bays and any place where there's a tributary coming in uh, or going out seems to be a really, really good choice uh, at that time because there's also suckers and everything else is still shallow. Suckers are really kind of a cold water fish, but uh, you don't see them much in summer, but this time of the year, you see schools of suckers in shallow and not far behind them, there's a muskie sitting there. So, I mean, I've seen that happen quite a bit at spring where you see suckers uh, splashing around in the shallow and, 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 and uh, you know, the water isn't that warm, so they can handle the water temperature that we have right now. Yeah, I actually saw the, the suckers spawning today. They're, you know, they're right up to the edge and they thrash right on the shore you'll see them and if you're trolling motor up there's a lot of times you'll see it's a school of about 25 of them you know in a big area that they're all spawning so the muskies won't be far off from that they're they know where they're at they know where the food is believe me they follow them around i can remember uh having uh you know before we had live wells which we missed out on a lot of stuff because we have live wells of having uh walleyes over the side of the boat on a fish stringer and you're drifting along in shallow water, and all of a sudden you look, and there's a big muskie with his nose right up to the fish stringer. They see those little white tips of the walleye tails uh, flashing back and forth, and it's just an attractant, and that's usually in pretty shallow water, you know, where you're fishing at this time of the year. The walleyes aren't deep. At least I haven't caught any deep. They've all been fairly shallow. I haven't got anything over, I don't know, 12 feet maybe, or maybe I might have got one at 20 or so, but most of the walleyes are, like, still in uh, eight feet or less, and, but they are moving, the walleyes are moving out towards rocks, so they're moving off of some of the shallow stuff now. Well, I can, I can tell you this, Ross, I went up to Winnie over this past weekend, it was our walleye opener, so I hadn't uh, fished a walleye opener in I don't know how many years, but uh, I got away from the shop, I got up there, did some stuff, and it was pretty interesting, I mean, 
everybody was doing their kind of their own little gig. And so everybody was saying, Oh, you got to get out here. We had a group of like, well, there was five boats counting myself and uh, (laughs) it was a really good time. It was with Matt Seifert and his whole family and friends. And they've been doing this for many, many years and I I hadn't done it for a long time. So it it was good to escape, get out of the shop and actually go do something. But they were all fishing jigging a minnow. And I went up there and I started playing with crawlers. And the reason I did that was to kind of set myself apart and go a little bit off the beaten path. Right. And, uh, as soon as I did that, <laughs> I was consistently in fish and, and amazingly enough, I was seeing walleyes out in 30 to 32 feet of water. So it, it's oh, pretty oh. amazing. I, it kind of blew me away. And I don't know if you know a lot about winning. I mean, it's not a deep lake, oh, but I uh, don't know much about, yeah. But it's a big body of water. I don't know. I think I dumbfounded some people that I was doing what I was doing. It's kind of like I always say. I I always try to preach. Try to do something different than the rest of the pack. And uh, this time it actually paid off. Yeah, well, that's smart to do that because, you know, even like we tried something uh, a little off the the cuff today as far as uh, instead of a minnow, we we bought waxworms. And we fished with some waxworms. Because sometimes when the crappies are a little finicky, they'll suck in a little worm like that. Although they didn't work for us today, but we did take a different type of bait along and going with crawlers. And I know, and Jake knows too, that we fished crawlers from day one some some years and caught uh, nice walleyes on on crawlers. They Actually, crawlers will work all year. I mean, one year that's all I did fish was crawlers, and I caught walleyes in spring, summer. You know, and way late in fall, I still caught uh, walleye time crawlers. So they work. I mean, it's a natural bait and uh, something that's pretty easy for them to grab. And uh, and it's got scent. You know, they can smell it. So that's that's a good choice. Well, that should be that should be pretty good for your your trolling that you do, Brad. I heard about that on the podcast, and sounds like you do a lot of deep water trolling. So that that'll probably get you going out there. I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, what's amazing about this whole thing, you know, I couldn't believe it. On a body of water like Winnie, I, I don't know how many acres it is, but it's a it's a giant body of water. We've seen 58 to 60 degree water on the surface. And don't get me wrong, you go down a couple feet and it drops off really quick. Yeah, yeah. It, it's good and it's bad. I mean, I'm looking at this kind of going into this new season thinking, wow, you know, we're going to be ahead of schedule. Um, I do know on some of my home bodies of water, we're seeing some uh, fish paired up. So we're, we're sitting pretty good that way. And the way the forecast looks, it's going to be even keeled. It should continue to go that direction. But now on the backside, I'm wondering, man, what's it going to be for water temps mid-July, beginning of August, you know? So yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's twofold, right? But we'll see what the weather brings. You never, ever know, right? Yeah, you never know. It might not. Hopefully, it doesn't get over hot like it did last year, where we had to kind of shut down and take a week or whatever it was off during the early July. That was right after the fourth, I think, when we had that. But hopefully, that doesn't happen. I'm with you. I uh, never like to see that. You know, that's part of the gig, I guess. If it if it gets to that point, well, we'll readjust and go do something different until the water temps cool back down. Yeah. Did you see a bug hatch or something that some fish were out that deep? Well, I was just basically what I did is I, I used my side imaging. I just kind of cruised around until I started marking some fish. And don't get me wrong, I was marking fish everywhere. They seemed really, really scattered. And so I just kind of like, man, there's a pretty good little group out here. And so we started dropping some lines and boom, boom, boom. I mean, the, you can't argue right. with success. So we, we stuck no. it out. No, that's what you got to do. It's always good to try stuff like that. And it's fun because, honestly, guys, I, the walleye thing, I think it's really cool. I used to do a lot of it. And, honestly, I don't really care that much anymore. So it, it yeah. was just fun to be out. And we were scoring fish. And, yeah, that that's what it really amounted to. Yeah, it's fun for us for the month of May. But then we're ready to yeah get the big, <laughs> get the big stuff out. Yeah, I get it. Although I think walleye fishing, you know, being a fishing guide where you have to fish all species, I think walleye fishing, you learn a lot. You learn a lot when you're walleye fishing. Uh, 
you learn a lot about fish location. You learn a lot about muskies, uh, even though you're walleye fishing. Uh, muskies coming up and T-boning, uh, you know, 18-inch walleye uh, when everybody says I'm throwing a number five uh, spinner or whatever. And, and why throw a number five spinner when a, when a big muskie hits an 18-inch walleye? I mean, so I always argued that point that a big bait is really not bad to throw on opening day. You might you might miss out on uh, uh, of some of the real little juvenile muskies, but you might get the fish of your lifetime by using a little bigger bait. Well, I love that because that is something that I would totally agree with you on, Russ, because I like big baits, and I, I don't know why, but it's always been my gig, right? So I generally go that direction no matter what, and I'll tell you, you know, you might miss out on some smaller fish or what have you, but... At the end of the day, if you got an active fish, guess what? They're going to eat that big bait as well. And uh, yeah. the, the reason that I like doing that is because you stand out a re- away from the rest of the crowd. And um, yeah, right. when it works, it works. And, and why would you change? Right. And I always felt that way. As a matter of fact, many years ago, I, I won a, tur- a big, it was a big tournament at the time, uh, the National Muskie Association tournament, where there was like a thousand people fishing in it. And it was on Memorial Weekend, and I was throwing a nine-inch my nine-inch jerk bait and uh, caught the winning fish off of a rock bar uh, and stuff like that. And uh, and everybody else was throwing all little stuff, and I was actually throwing a, a large bait for you know that time of the year. And, uh, and and it's because of the fact that I was walleye fishing and I was catching uh, walleyes where muskies were coming up and t-boning them. And I mean, like I was saying earlier about having a stringer over the side where you got like half a dozen walleyes on a stringer and the uh, muskie's nose is right into the fish, you know, so they're looking for something bigger. Some of the fish are looking for something bigger. Absolutely. And I would support you 100%. Honestly, I mean, you could look at a multi-species fisherman, but I think a lot of times that walleye fisherman will separate you, uh, meaning that if you're a good walleye fisherman, you're probably going to be an excellent muskie fisherman as well. I agree 100% with that one. Yeah. So, Jeff, you got to get out there and start fishing some walleyes from what we're hearing here. Sounds like <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm no good at muskies. I'm no good at walleyes, Brad. I should probably stick to the bluegills. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. <laughs> I was a crappie fisherman today. So... <laughs> so Oh, that takes a little finesse too, but it's all fishing is fishing and it's all fun. You know, the beauty of it is, is that fishing's still supposed to be fun. And I think a lot of times people get hung up on the, the wrong side of that. And ultimately, if you're having fun on the water and you're learning a little bit on the water, guess what? You're doing it right. Right. You can always learn something. I mean, I learn something all the time and I've been fishing all these years and I still learn stuff. So it's all part of the fishing game. The, if you can learn one thing when you're out there, it's just going to make you a better angler. Absolutely. You know, guys, you were talking about Brad doing the open water trolling thing, and, and you can do that up there in northern Wisconsin. I know you guys are probably pretty much primary, primarily casting, but do you do, do you play around with the trolling gig at all? We troll a little bit, but I, I can't say I've trolled opening weekend. I don't think ever. I probably should play around with it more and and try to learn that a little bit but we do a troll i I mean i'm not the probably best guide at it i could tell you that i'm sure there's better guides at trolling but we catch them for me it's more of a you know a break in the day sometimes you know guys are getting tired and do some trolling and i know that's probably i'm not the most serious troller i guess you could say and i don't know about you either dad no i've caught fish trolling as a matter of fact jake and i uh before you could motor troll, we used to put our little road troller boat in and go out trolling, you know, in the evening on big lakes and stuff around here. And we've got some really big fish doing that, just road trolling. But uh, motor trolling is a, I think if you work at it, you do really well at it. I do it to give my clients a little break. I do it when nothing else is working. I do troll, not a lot, but I, I, I do spend some time trolling and, uh, it has paid off. I mean, uh, last year it was pretty funny where I was putting along at about two miles an hour or whatever, trolling a couple of deep baits that were running about 14 feet. And all of a sudden Jake 
we had a double party. He had the other half of the party, and all of a sudden I see Jake coming with his boat. He's really clipping, and all of a sudden he passes me up. He's going so fast, and all of a sudden he passes <laughs> me up, and bang, they nail a fish right in front of us all. <laughs> and I said, aha, how do you do that, Jake? He says, four, four or five miles an hour. <laughs> so he was throwing a lot faster than I was that day, so I, I learned something there. I usually kind of was used to road trolling, and we used to road troll with the GPS, we could tell we were going about 1.8 to 2 miles an hour. We tried to do about that speed, and, and that's how we caught fish road trolling. So I was kind of like at a 2-mile-an-hour snail pace, and Jake went flying by and crawling right in front of us, and we, we all started <laughs> laughing. Stole the fish. Stole the fish. That was perfect. funny. So road I trolling, I think, I think the road trolling was more effective with the pulsating baits, I really do think that works. And even though I'll, I still motor troll, I'll, I'll have my hand in the rod and I'll be ripping it. I know it's a lot of work, but it, it definitely works. I caught them a lot doing that. So it's something to, <laughs> to think about, you know, just the rip and pause seems to trigger them. Yeah, that works. On a road troll, if you think about it, you're, every time you pump on the oar, you're speeding up the bait a little bit and then it's relaxing a little and then you're pumping it again. So the bait is pretty, uh, erratic as far as uh you know speed goes i think one of the interesting aspects about the two of you is a father and son guide team the only other father and son guide team that i can think of in the musky world would be herbie and his son so oh yeah uh, that's great. i love yeah. it I, I think it's really cool to hear about that as well yeah we work together on quite a few jobs where they need you know several guides or two guides at least and we always have so much fun. And matter of fact, in some days you're on a smaller lake, say of 250, 300-acre lake, and I, where's Jake? I can't see him where he is. I mean, you know, on a little lake like that, you think you'd see him all the time, but uh, we fish a lot of different spots on lakes, and uh, we learn stuff from that, that's for sure. So who's the better angler here? <laughs> oh, it's, hard, it's hard to beat the old man. <laughs> It's hard to beat them. Uh, I love it. I figured that's what I would hear, but I had to ask the question. Well, it sounded like you got the best of them one time, Jake. You got to be the teacher one day, so that was cool. Yeah, yeah he, he did. Yeah. yeah, he did. He, he showed me how to do it on speed trolling because I was one of these uh, snail pace guys, and he went flying right past me and nailed one. That was so cool. <laughs> I was happy for him. <laughs> that's awesome. That's good stuff. So one question I had before we switch over to, we want to talk a little bit about guide stories just to end the segment. One one thing I want to talk about since we got two guides here is talk about patterning. One thing we, we used to ask and we talked about a lot was like a pattern. So let's just say, for example, uh, you have a typical pattern. It was working yesterday. How long do you go into the next day before you're changing location, you're changing baits? Like, how do you, how do you determine, you know, everyone likes to always say, you know, let the fish tell you what they want. Well, if you're out there, I mean, how long do you wait the next day to see if you need to change patterns? I guess that's, you know, patterning is the one thing. If you can nail that down, you can be more consistent angler. And it's probably the most difficult thing to do with muskies because you see so few of them. So why don't you talk a little bit about patterning? I guess, you you know, for us, we just, you wait till, you know, you said something about the fish telling you what to do. So I guess, you know, we wait until you're not seeing anything well then you got to try something else you got to maybe not just switch lures but switch lakes or you know completely get out of last year i was on the lake and um had a, a half day trip in the morning we started real early and we blinked nothing happened so i met with another guy in town went back over we caught five muskies on a lake that was 10 minutes away from the lake i was on so just remember that you know you they're moving somewhere. The fish are going to be biting somewhere. And sometimes it's not just the lure. And that's my biggest thing. I'll be ready to, you know, jump to another lake and find the next hot bite, really. Yeah, musky fishing is it's really a crazy sport because uh, you look at, I had a pattern going. Every point, you know, every point on the lake was, uh, there was a musky on every point. And we caught three or four fish that were over 40 inches that day. And so the next day I had the same people, which that was kind of cool. And we went back to the same lake and we could not find a fish on any point. So we switched instead of fishing points, we started fishing rocks, rock bars, rock piles, stuff like that. 
in the afternoon. And it turned out to be a good day because we did catch a couple fish in the afternoon. So sometimes the fish are there and they just move. I mean, I always tell everybody they have fins and they swim. So they don't always stay in the same spot. So you got to go, it's called musky hunting. And that's what we, that's what you have to do. And that's a challenge for me. And I like that. I like hunting them down and uh, trying to find them. And like Jake said, if it's a lake, can be really hot sometimes for a period of time you go back every day and you're catching fish and all of a sudden it just dies well maybe it's time you should switch lakes i mean i've had lakes that were really good lakes with big fish in them and you couldn't you could go there i'd go there in the morning and fish till noon never see a fish go someplace else catch a fish come back the next day to that same lake and i know there's big fish in there and i'd go fishing there nothing nothing a matter of fact the whole season was a washout on that lake so Sometimes a lake just is dead, so you got to move around. And where we live, it's uh, pretty easy to do that because there's so many lakes here. So you got to look. I think what struck me there, and this is pretty interesting. Uh, I've been talking to some guys that uh, are in some southern water, and um, they're struggling with the concept of fishing open water fish based on their lakes aren't uh, Cisco driven, and they have the shad base. And one of the things that, you know, I, I just basically, I mean, if you look at the simplistic side of fishing, I just told them straight out. I said, you know, there's two rules. One, fish eat fish. And two, fish have fins and they swim. So you kind of said the exact yeah. same thing there, Russ. And I, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not stagnant. They're not just sitting there in one spot. I'm sorry. They're going to move around. They're going to do what they do. And if you're not chasing them, guess what? You're probably not catching them. So I, I like not, that. Yeah. You're not going to do good if you just keep going to your old spots and nothing happens, nothing happens. Well, you got to do something different. Yeah, I agree. All right, Russ. Well, before we started recording, we, uh, I asked you how many seasons you've been chasing muskies and you told me this is your 45th season chasing muskies. Uh, a couple weeks back, we did a little bit of guide stories with Steve Jensen Guys uh, seem to like it, and so I wanted to ask you, in 45 years on the water, I'm sure you've got a couple of stories to tell us. Yeah, I have so many stories, I don't know where to start, but I had a little article in Musky Hunter that I made me laugh because uh, I could go way back, and I can remember uh, when I was a kid and I was hanging around Freilich, uh, Joe Freilich's bait shop at Plum Lake and Sainer, and uh, all the guides were being there in the morning, and my dad... Uh, he would always send me and my brother Tom in for uh, to buy bait because they like kids and they'd give you a lot more bait than they would give an adult. So we always got extra minnows and stuff. But anyways, the guys were talking about tackle buster fish and uh, tackle busters back then because you had old, uh, you know, kind of crappy equipment and rods weren't very good. And the guys uh, had a rod break because a muskie pulled it down the gunnel and you know, you had to thumb the reels. You didn't have drags and all that stuff. So I always said to my dad, let's go catch one of those tackle busters. And my dad said, uh, well, we don't have equipment. I said, well, let's go get some. So <laughs> I was pretty pretty young then. I don't know, maybe 12 years old or something. And so we did get some tackle. It wasn't the best, but we went after those tackle busters. And I caught lots of muskies with some of the equipment I had. and the old rod, steel rod, I had a steel rod and no, uh, you know, level wine reel, but no uh, free spool or no drag. You had to thumb them and all that stuff. But then uh, finally I graduated to a Pfluger rocket that had a, it had a, a star drag on it. Uh, it wasn't free spooling, but it had a drag. So if you hooked a, a good one and I was throwing around a piece of wood that I got out of the wood pile and put some hooks on it, carved it crudely. And, all of a sudden, I had this big fish on, and it came flying out of the water about three feet. And and I, I and my dad said, you got him? I said, yeah, I got him. But then when he came out the second time, he spit the lure, and uh, and it came flying back to the boat. And my dad looked at me and says, what are you throwing there? And I said, a chunk of wood. And so he said, let me see that. So I, I showed it to him. It was pretty crude, painted black and white or whatever. I showed it to him. He said, wow, look at them teeth marks in there. <laughs> but I didn't get that one. But eventually I did catch a tackle buster muskie. And uh, my mom, she said, 
your knees are shaking. I said, yeah, I was pretty excited. I was shaking like a leaf. And uh, my mom said, well, you got to have one of these. And she had a one ounce bottle of booze you can get at the at the uh, liquor section there. It's like a little miniature bottle. You got to have one of these in the boat with you. When that happens, you got to take a drink of that and that'll settle you down. So to this day, I still have a tackle buster bottle in my boat. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And it, so- it sounds like, Ross, that's kind of where your bait building experience came in then. Yeah, because at the time, you know, I didn't have extra money or, you know, my folks weren't wealthy or nothing. But but anyway, we made, whittled out some lures and made them work and played with them. And I think that bait that I had back then was uh, uh, made out of a chunk of birch or something. So it was kind of heavy, so it glided pretty good and. Uh, I think my dad was probably throwing a billy fin or a, a fluger a bucktail or something that day. But so we always used different baits. So I kind of worked on the wood stuff, and actually I got a little wood lathe, and I started turning some stuff. So I was making lures for myself and other people before I actually sold any lures. Which in 1970 is when we started selling lures. So it's about uh, 51 years ago or whatever, but I made lures before that, that I caught fish on that, that were pretty crude, but I refined it a little bit and, and caught tons and tons of fish on some of those old chunks of wood. I mean, I caught fish on wood that wasn't even painted, just the uh, plain wood. I mean, it, it, it was the action mostly. And that's what I kind of developed and worked on. Well, it's always exciting for me to hear some of these different tackle manufacturers stories and and i i love the history of this whole sport and i know you can bring a lot to the table when it comes to that so super super cool to hear from you russ well it's great being with you guys i sure enjoyed uh being on the podcast with you guys and brad you're you're a great angler and a great big guy so i appreciate uh your input too thank you yeah, we listen to you in the shop when we're working all winter. <laughs> yeah, when we're, we're, Jake and I are working in the shop, working on lures, we're always listening to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah we, I pulled, we, we apologize for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least we pick good guests. How's that sound? Yes. Yeah, yeah well, it's true. It's all fun. All right, so so uh, so Jake, we got a story from Russ. You have to have a story about your dad and something to do with fishing. I'm assuming. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but we can't <laughs> let Russ be the only one telling stories tonight. <laughs> well, I guess it'd have to be my first muskie. That was the the summer. I don't know how what year it was. Ninety two, I think, and that's when it all started. And my dad said, uh, "You, my brother, and I, we were both playing baseball." you guys want to play baseball this year, you know, two nights a week, or would you rather go fishing two nights a week? So we picked fishing, you know, he'd get down after guiding a full day. And now I realize how hard that is <laughs> that, you know, you're on the water all day long and then <laughs> we'd be ready to jump in the boat and go. And uh, a lot of times we went to Lake Monaco cause we lived right in town. We, you know, grew up right in town and, Backtrolling, we did a lot of casting. I remember my first follow, but my my um, first muskie was trolling. I was trolling, uh, what was it, our deep lunge that we make? And it was a 40 incher. I was eight years old. And um, I remember I set the hooks about 20 times because he, he uh, drilled that in my head. You got to set the hook. Set the hook. <laughs> he, That's enough after about, <laughs> I said probably it was 10 or whatever. And he was, I remember he had to cut the hooks out of them. Yeah, to tell him to back off when that set. And we caught we caught a lot of muskies that summer. I remember my first follow I, that was in Kennedy Bay, right in town there, and I thought it was a fifty incher. Who knows what it really? I don't know. Yeah. Everything looks big when you're a kid, but that was a fun summer, and we learned a lot, and it was it was good. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, and I had guide people all day long, and and come home and grab something quick to eat and then dump the boat back in and go back out and fish till dark out on the chain out there. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was worth it. I mean, I was tired, but I, it was still a lot of fun for me. And I can remember, uh, Jake and his brother, Chris, and I'd back when we were done fishing for the day, I'd back my trailer into the lake. And, and there's a little kid about eight years old and he's running a 50 horse pillar, uh, 
on my boat that I had, and uh, people are looking, look at that little kid out there running that motor. <laughs> I said, oh, that's my son. He's going to drive it on the trailer for me. Yeah, we take it for a cup loop. We got, yeah, and then he we got a hold of his boat. They make a few donuts out there, and then they come in and drive it on the trailer, and we go home. It was it was pretty much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that back towing was legal here for yeah for a while. It was. I think it was two years or something, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> going backward around the whole lake. Yeah, eating eating uh, gas fumes. <laughs> uh, I, I know a funny story about the whole gas fume thing, and you guys probably know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell the listeners, but this guy would do it after dark. And so what he did is he switched his lights around so that he could forward <laughs> fall after dark, yeah, and nobody would idea. be wiser. That's hard. That's pretty hard. Pretty wild. I, I think I might know who it is. I think I might know who it is. I'm now. guessing you both do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. Good oh, stuff. <laughs> uh, that's great story. That's why they call it fishing. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, it's always fun to get guys telling stories. We've been trying to do a little bit more of that in the podcast, just because uh, you know, lighten it up a little bit, kind of talk about uh, you know, what we see on the water. We we deal with a lot of guys with a lot of experience, and there's always there's always fun stories. So. Hey guys, I want to just thank you both for taking some time out and uh, talking fishing with us. I'd like uh, I'd like nothing more to have you back on at some point this summer. We'll get you a full episode. I know this one is pretty close to full. I mean, especially with this as long as our last couple episodes have been, huh, Brad? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's always a challenge, right? And we've both been super busy, but uh, absolutely, I'd love to sit down and visit with these guys some more. That's for sure. Yeah. So, thanks a lot, guys. We really appreciate it. I. Uh, I know that, uh, oh, I hope that you guys have a great season. I get to spend at least a day in the boat with Jake, I think sometime in June. So that'll be a good time as well. And, uh, you know, like I yeah, said. Yeah, looking forward to it. That'll be a good day. Yeah. No, that'll be fun. Yeah. So thanks a lot, guys. I hope you guys both have a great, uh, a great season. Yeah. And I hope you have a good one too. And Brad, you too. Yeah. Have a good opener. Yeah. Thank you guys. I, I really appreciate your time and it was a blast visiting. Thanks for having You're us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. For sure. All right. Up next is Kevin Pischke with Laying the Line Guide Service out of Green Bay. And, you know, much like we just talked to Russ and Jake, they're going to be holding down the fort up there in northern Wisconsin. The other destination is obviously Green Bay. We can't talk uh, Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin muskies without talking about the Green Bay muskie fishery. Kevin, thanks for coming out this morning and talking to us. How are things going over in Green Bay? Uh, not too bad besides... uh extended forecast of wind and rain for the next five days it's it's good right i'm imagining that you've probably have you gotten have you gotten your boat pro, you know everything worked out in your boat i know that anybody that got new boats this year was uh dealing with you know some sort of issues delays something you got all the kinks worked out now yep boats going good uh had it out a few times when chasing while i started to do some musky scouting uh, the only setback I have right now is my kicker stuck in a shipping container on the West Coast, but we can get away without having that uh, for the time being. Yeah, Green Bay guys don't need kickers anyways. Not this time of the year. So speaking of the uh, muskie scouting, wh- what's the forecast looking like for Green Bay muskies for the opener? I know that I had gotten some information from the DNR. They you know, took some eggs, stripped some eggs from some females and stuff, and and it looked like they had a 54 and a half was the biggest one they had, but that was quite a while back. I mean, that was the early part of May. Do you think that Fox River bite's going to be a thing this year, or what, what's your guess on that? Uh, I think it's going to be tough. Number one, we, you know, we're, the way the weeks fell, you know, on the calendar year, we're kind of starting almost a week behind this year with it being the, you know, the last weekend in May. Water temps, even on Lower Bay, are tweaking 60 and above. Uh, the carp are going to start moving in on the river, which is going to chase the muskie along with the warmer water. And that, that river bite could be tough. Plus we're looking at wind and rain the next four to five days with storms. That's going to muddy things up down there too, which number one, you know, clarity and oxygen, they don't have that. They're not going to like it. And the other factor is, is the water gets dirtier, the sun reflects more and creates more heat. So the water temps are going to shoot up on the river even more. Yeah. Cause it looks like, you know, we're, we're about a week out from the opener when we're, when we're recording this, but Looks like we're looking at some pretty warm temperatures for tomorrow. I think we're up in the mid to upper 80s. 
So it's definitely going to uh, change things a little bit around. So for guys that are looking to head out to Green Bay, I mean, what should typically what time, you know, this time of year, what should they be looking for? Well, you know, you're looking number one. I always, you know, guys always talk about warmer water, warmer water. I like a little cooler water this time of the year. Anywhere you've got creeks dumping in, and that can even mean just a like a drainage ditch uh, this time of the year when we've had rain, and you've got that clear rainwater dumping in and making it a little cooler in those spots and fresher oxygen. You know, they love that stuff. Uh, they love the sand uh, and the rocks, especially that those area where you have some sand and kind of like the flat rock on the bottom, not necessarily rock piles or rock bars. And then those, uh, those rocks and that sand, you get that, like that slime that starts to grow on them. And that kind of offers them that, that camouflage, you know, you'll tell a client to throw at that black spot and they look at you like you're stupid and they throw past the burn the bucktail back and a fish comes shooting off of it, uh, because they camouflage themselves in on those spots. That really helps. Uh, you start getting up a little further north, deeper water. Then, you know, you're looking more for the rock bars, the rock piles, that kind of thing. But, you know, typically, if you can find fresher moving water, which is going to be coming in from them creeks, those river systems, that's, uh, you know, kind of key areas this time of the year. Let's talk a little, Kevin, about lure selection for this first week, you know, that opener time frame. Well, I can tell you probably, I actually wrote them down so I stay on track here. You know, me and my ADD. I'm going to throw small to mid-sized bucktails some small twitch baits and some small jerk baits. And basically I'll just go with the, uh, like one that did really well with last year, especially on some of the Northern tributaries with the double six from toothies, you know, heavier built bucktail, but still small. So it can take the abuse of the fish out here, but you know, it's pretty easy to work through the water. Good for clients. The lungeon always work really well. You know, your eights work wonderful. And even some of the smaller single bladed stuff now uh, is good. For those twitch baits, I love the five-inch slammers, and I actually got a box from Billy yesterday with the five-inch deep lift ones, which are going to get—they're going to be, you know, basically plowing sand come Saturday morning in that shallow water. And then finally, I like the jerk bait. Some of those fish, you know, they—they kind of follow lazily, and you want to be able to give them a bait that's going to hang there. So I'll even throw that smaller of the two uh, Smitty jerk baits that Jeff carries. I thought I was one of the special ones that got that uh, that deep running slammer, that little five inch guy. That thing's going to be pretty cool this year, I think. It is. I'm actually. Uh, I almost want to just go take the hooks off of one of them, and <laughs> throw it just to see how it runs. But you know, not be actually fishing musket because there's no hooks on it. Right. That I gotta take a run down to Pewaukee by Bill and give it a try with him. That's not a bad idea either. You know, the other thing guys want to know about is color preference. Do you have certain colors you're looking for out in Green Bay? Yeah, and it's kind of weird how it works for me. Don't ask me why in my boat, but I'm either throwing, and we can go back to that video you and I did two years ago where Shane got that one up in Door County on that uh, saber from Toothies. That was, you know, brass and brown, kind of smallmouth colored, and we were throwing like, clear water and sand. That lure basically, if you dropped it on the bottom, you wouldn't see it. It blended in so well with you know, what we were fishing. Uh, that. And then when I work my way down this way towards the lower end of the bay, I like the uh, like the, the dark flowage green with black for you know and, and blades that seems to work really well. And then when it comes to you know the twitch baits and the jerk baits, probably perch does my best uh, you know natural looking perch color. You know, Kevin, I know you talked earlier about how you don't need to have a kicker motor right now, so trolling is pretty much not necessarily in your plans for opening week. You know, honestly, it's. It's not a bad idea to give it a try, but it's kind of like you want to get out there and you want to cast. And that's, you know, clients kind of want to do that too. Oh, excuse me, too. But if you get out there and they're not sitting, you know, on the sand, on the rocks, near any tributaries, you know, you're not having any rock fishing those tributaries, I'm going to pull off and kind of revert back to uh, Steve Hiding talks about it in one of his seminars, kind of like the bullpen area where they're just, you know, they're near that tributary, they're near those rock piles, but they're kind of in that either they're coming in to spawn or they're going out to spawn and they're just hanging out. And that's those areas that do work with the troll. But I'm not going to dedicate, you know, my all my trolling gear, nine lines, that kind of thing going. It's going to be that, all right, you know, we fished the, we fished the mouth, we went up this tributary, nothing going on. Let's go out and take 20 minutes and make five laps, you know, near this tributary and see a, if we can catch a fish or B if we can mark something out to girl what's going on. So that's kind of the, you know, throw two rods down with bucktails and then throw two rods out with crankbaits and just, like I said, give it 20 minutes, half an hour. If nothing goes on, move. If you get a rip, you get a fish or you mark stuff, then all right, let's back off, 
figure out how they were sitting, where they were, you know, which way they were facing and why, and now let's cast them. So, yeah, I will troll, but it's not that dedicated, you know, fall run where you're, you're running nine or 12 lines, depending on how many people are in the boat. So, Kevin, earlier you mentioned about uh, doing some scouting. Um, what are you typically looking for when you're out scouting early in the season like this? I'm literally just, you know, sighting fish. Water temps, and then also seeing what else is there. If I'm in areas and I'm seeing, you know, one, two carp and not any musky, I'm not too you know, bothered that I didn't see any musky there yet. Uh, if I'm in that area and you, you see a couple dozen carp rolling around on top of each other, and you, you see in mid 60 degree water temps, they're gone. Uh, but I'm looking for those areas I talked about, like that slime on the bottom of the flat, smooth rock in the sand, moving water. Uh, I want to know which creeks are flowing, which ones ended up with a bunch of sand deposited in front of them that the water's not flowing that good with it being down, and, uh, you know, water clarity and water temps. And not as much bait. Uh, you know, with the pre and post spawn, bait isn't the biggest concern for me. But we will. There's some areas, especially you get up towards Door County, where we have these, I don't know if they're genetic freak mutation or what, but these shad that are a foot to 16 inches big. And I've snagged a couple of them just to see, and they're definitely shad. I do see those in those areas. I'll mark that down and come back and concentrate on those. But otherwise, water temp, water clarity, tributary dumping water. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I'm looking for right now. So what's the typical water temps for this time of the year? I mean, for your opener, I mean, how much warmer are you this year? Four to six, I'd say. Usually, you know, we're seeing that 50, 52, maybe 54, which is where I really like to be. But like I said, we're seeing, depending on where you are out here in the water, clarity, 58, 62. And I even saw some 64, but that was sitting way on the low end of the bay trolling walleye up on, you know, on some rock piles that were four feet deep. So, yeah, it's a little warm, but, you know, it's just not temperature that comes into play with it. It is, you know, their, how their bodies cycle. It's where the, you know, the whole, like, the big fall rut thing with deer hunting. It's like we're looking for that one moon phase. So, yeah, the water temps play, at, you know, a part and probably a majority of part in their spawning, but there's also those other factors of, you know, just their body itself, uh, you know, what the moon phase is, where we are, and how that magnetic pole is affecting them. So, you know, it's not doom and gloom. It's just a guy's going to have to, you know, work for it this year, which I typically, Jeff knows that I'm, I'm out on the bay for the opener and the first two weeks of the season, I prefer not to get in line and play bumper boats on the river. Yeah, I guess that kind of goes to the next question. Being warmer like that, I'm going to assume that the river, it's always busy. I know that, um, like you said, bumper boats, but is that something that, um, I mean, are you thinking you're going to see more people on the bay because of these warmer temperatures? I don't know as much on the bay as maybe other tributaries. I think they're going to see a little more pressure just because it, you, know, you kind of get that feeling that some guys just don't quite have the confidence to go out on the bay and just start, you know, fishing areas that you typically wouldn't must be fish that they don't, you know, they're used to just being on that river, you know, getting a line of casting. So there'll be guys on the bay, but I think you're more of a be tributary. I do also think there will be some fish caught in the river. I mean, that's not just because oh, yeah. the temperatures no, are that, off. Yeah. No, there's, like I said, there's, there's still, they're there. There's just that it, it's warmer than what we would be. And we are kind of for six days for the back with the way the calendar fell this year. So I mean, those results and some of that information from the river is that, you know, they, they put them out the first period, you know, and they pulled them in and they had X amount of fish and they pulled X amount of eggs and they didn't have enough. So they, you know, obviously released all those fish, reset the nets. And they recaptured a lot of those fish they originally did. So that had me thinking, like, are the numbers down this year? Because typically they don't, when they reset the nets, if they have to, they don't get the same fish back in the nets. So A, either those fish really like those nets, or B, maybe the fish migration in the river was a little different this year. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I think I saw, I don't remember the exact numbers that I have to look at. It was like, the second night they set, they ended up getting 28 fish, and I think they got seven of them back, I think, if I'm not mistaken, which means they had you know, 21 new ones or whatever. Right. So I did ask whether or not that was a decent number of fish, and it sounded like it was still a good number of fish. Yep. Obviously, we, you know, like you said, it's a little questionable about the recapture because you'd think that those fish wouldn't be, they wouldn't be swimming back in the net if, you know, in, in the same right. locations. But, right, fool me once, but. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, like I said, there'll be, there'll be definitely fish caught on the river. I think it's just going to be 
a little more short-lived on the river this year than it is normally with the later start in the water temps. Yeah, I think obviously, I think there's just gonna be less shots at them. I think there, you know, there's out there's some fish in there. I th- it wouldn't surprise oh. me if there's a couple fish that are in there all year round. But oh, there definitely are. Yeah, but I think it's just gonna be your concentration of fish isn't isn't gonna be where it was. I don't believe, and I think the numbers. I think you're angling. You know, your what is it? Your um, your uh, your hours that you need to put in to catch one out there. I think it's even gonna be lower in oh yeah this year. Yep. Yeah. So then, Kevin, let's talk one thing. So, obviously, we know about, the you know, it, typically it's like the first two weeks of the season for Green Bay can be pretty good. Well, can you offer any insight as to what happens to these muskies, you know, say mid-June to mid-July? I mean, it seems like no, I don't want to say nobody. There probably are some people targeting them. If they are, they're not talking about it. What's what's your hypothesis on these fish? Where do they go? Why does nobody catch them from, you know, mid-June to, you know, mid-July? That is the million dollar question. If I, you know, go back to Dennis Radloff, his line always was when people asked him about fishing musky on the bay, you know, late June to mid July. And, uh, then, you know, how do you, how do you go after him, Dennis? How do you target them? And he would just smile at people and said, I go walleye fishing. But, you know, they, they transition. The weeds aren't quite up yet. And uh, we'll talk about the water level because that's a plus this year, but the weeds aren't quite up yet. You know, they're done spawning. They're out there kind of chasing the bait. And, you know, the walleye guys will hook on them when they're trolling or even casting, you know, even smallmouth guys up in Door County. But it just seems like they're, you know, they're so scattered. And I don't quite understand why, why they don't stay in the packs and chase the bait then. But they're a lot more scattered. They're more bait related. So, yeah, you can find a bait. We've trolled, you know, late June, early July with a little bit of success, but not a ton. Man, you know, if you could figure that out, pinpoint that, you know, you'd be, that'd be the million dollar secret especially for us guys that live around here and guys that you know, spend a lot of time out there. Yeah. It's easy for us to go spend a day or two chase them trying to figure it out versus, you know, let's, Hey, let's plan a trip to green Bay over the 4th of July weekend and go see if we can find a muskie. Well, that could be, you know, pretty not productive. I'd rather, if that was me, I'd rather be going, you know, Minnesota, Northern Wisconsin, that kind of thing and fishing inland lakes where I know I can target them versus spend time out here, you know, just chasing a ghost. So they're, they're out there, you know, you can get them, but it's, it's tougher. They're just a transition. And for whatever reason, they're, they're just tougher to catch that time. Yeah. It's, um, you know, one of those things, it's kind of strange. Like you said, when you were talking about it, I was thinking, I guess the reason why guys don't necessarily target them is because there's other options that are better in the state. Much like you said, the guides out there, they just go walleye fishing because there's plenty of walleye clients and they're way easier to catch. But if you could dedicate some time because the thing is, I mean, the lower bay, it's the or Green Bay in itself is very big, but it still fishes fairly small. But at the same point, like I can't imagine those fish that were in the river now or or a week and a half ago, I can't imagine that they travel too far away. So I would think that they would be within, you know, targetable areas and that you could pattern these fish. But it just seems weird that nobody's broke the barrier down. Or if they have, nobody's talking about it because right. you can't tell me right. that those fish are, they're not long gone. They're not totally out of there because they show back up in, you know, late July. So it's not like they're, it's not like they're making huge migrations. I can't imagine. No, you know, and whether it was, you know, your boat out there, walleye fishing or somebody, you know, or somebody you talk to guys are getting them hooked up on, you know, flicker minnows, flicker shads, that kind of thing. And they're trolling walleye at that time. And it's like, all right, you know, we were in location X, Y, Z and we were, you know, going this fast. So it's like, all right, well, let's go out there and put on some. 22 shorts, some, you know, five inch slammers, little stuff like that. And let's slow down and troll maybe just two tenths faster than the walleye guys were going and you won't get a bite. And then the next day you get a picture from your buddy of, you know, they got a 50 next to the boat on a flicker minnow that they're ready to shake off because they don't want to bring it in the boat. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, we just worked that area yesterday with small musky baits that are, you know, designed to catch them and we couldn't, you know, hook a fish up and then, somebody gets one to eat a flicker minnow or a husky jerk and it's frustrating, but you know, that mid to late, you know, father's day till usually like that second, third week of July. And it's, it's tough. So Kevin, appreciate you coming out and talking green Bay muskies, especially for early season, green Bay muskies. If some, you know, can you offer up any, uh, like one last, one last tip for somebody looking to get out and chase muskies on green Bay for the first week and a half of the season? Uh, don't be afraid to think outside the box and just try something different. Take a look at your map and, and, uh, just see something you like on it. Go check it out. Go scout it out because you'd actually be surprised. 
And number two, you know, maybe if you are going to be on the river, try and remember some etiquette and bring some courtesy back to fishing out there. I can agree with that, especially on, yeah. I mean, not, not just there in general, as the pressure increases amongst all of our waters this year, especially with the, you know, the prospect of Canada being not open for a good, you know, the foreseeable future. Be good if we, uh, you know, pay attention, be mindful of other anglers on every body of water this summer. That is very true. All right, Kevin. Well, I'll let you on with your day. You can get out walleye fishing. I know you uh, delayed your your day so you could hang out and talk to Brad and I, and we appreciate that. And uh, if anybody's looking to book a trip with you this year, I'm assuming you may have some availability. How do they go about doing that? Uh, yeah, there we have some days open yet, uh, but they can either you know get a hold of me on the phone nine two zero six seven six seven eight nine three, or uh, just jump on Facebook or search out Land Line Guide Service, and you can get me you know Facebook, Instagram, or on my website. There's you know contact information all on there. Give me a call, give me a text, uh, give me a message. I'll get back to you. Hey, one quick question. I've had a couple people ask me. They're like, "What's with the Land Line Guide Service? Why don't you explain that to me?" All right, so I'm actually, for the last 25 years, uh, been full-time in the fire service. And when there's a fire and, you know, you report a fire, you know there's fire, the first engine will always go in to fight the fire, and then they have the second coming engine lay a line into them. And you want to be the first one there to put out the fire versus hooking the hydrant, and bringing in water and backing guys up. So that's where that came from. All right. I knew it had some something to do with firefighting, and I couldn't remember the exact story. So there you have it. If for anybody that's that wondering, is it. there you go. All right, Kevin. Well, I'm sure we'll be in touch with you at some point over the summer. I know that I, I text with you frequently, and uh, I hope that you have a great start to your season, and I hope that everybody else has a great start to their northern seasons. Minnesota's up next, and uh, once again, we just want to thank everybody for coming out and listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. So thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming out, and uh, good luck to everybody. 